our second reading, St. Paul is speaking to the Thessalonians and he speaks to them about the need to turn to God from the idols that they served and the living and true God who gives them this life uh, uh, and then begin to await the Son who will come again from heaven. And we must understand in the early days, you know, Jesus didn't leave a little notebook about how everything was going to proceed. In their mind, he was coming back before they died. John certainly thought that he would return uh, before they died. And um, it was only as things kept progressing that they had to open their mind up to uh, the fullness of what happened and who Christ was and what would be happening. And so here we are today, 2,000 years later, in a sense, living what is called the already but not yet, already living as uh, redeemed people, already living as uh, the Savior having come, already living as if in all things have been told, and, and, but not yet. Strange paradox of Christianity, but not yet. It hasn't ended yet. You haven't ended in heaven yet. He hasn't come back yet. Uh, the already not yet. And so here St. Paul is speaking into these people and he's particularly letting them know that they declared amongst themselves this reception of how they turned from God to God from these idols. And we see in the first reading that the Lord, this he's speaking to the Israelite people here in Exodus with the, the word of God is speaking and speaking of very detailed ways in which people had turned. Right, And so we already know that to serve God isn't some just figment of imagination. And we can move into St. Paul, and St. Paul in different places has all kinds of lists of ways in which people are to behave. Right? So to love God, to give your life to God, consequentially looks like something. It's a change in the way in which one behaves, the way in which one lives, the way in which one looks at another and looks at themselves in the light of all things. And so he goes down this great list of behaviors uh, and recognizes, ah, you have served God. You are serving God and not those idols. There's a helpful distinction that's been made in different uh, people who have opened up the philosophies of the church, primarily Aquinas and the high Middle Ages, would have detailed that the idols certainly were uh, versions of gods. Right, would have been particular gods to the weather or gods to the sun or gods to the football game. Right? Let's win this way. Right? Let's get this. We can see in our own lives how uh, the number of people yesterday that said, Father, are you praying for the right team? Right? I mean, it's, it's recognizing in a concrete way, I want a divine power to intercede. Now, we say that sort of aware of what we're doing, but you begin to take a real relationship with God out of the picture and those things become real. That becomes the the mode with which people start looking at how to manipulate and operate and achieve what it is that they want in the end. So this idea of what an idol can be certainly has uh, people or, or certain gods that would have been spoken about. But in the end, it's really an attribute of God that the person wants to attain and they put it towards this idol. So Aquinas details that the idol, if you stop worshiping God, the idols that you worship are fourfold. You end up worshiping wealth. You end up worshiping pleasure. You worship honor or you worship power. 
So we can have in our minds like those more concrete earthly things to see what it is that St. Paul was speaking into is people were looking for those things, power. Well, even that can seem like something different, but let's just go with the word control. Right? They wanted control over the weather so that their crops could do what it is that they needed in order to survive. They wanted control over what it was that was going to happen with their children's lives. They wanted control over where it is that the emperor was going to send people into battle. They wanted control. right? Or they wanted wealth. They wanted the ability to live in a particular way. And we can sort of uh, forget what it is to want wealth because our difference of wealth is whether I get to you know, go to Starbucks once a week or once a month. Whether I got to cut out of, you know, do I go to Chick-fil-A after my money's all spent and it's not, and I got to start paying for it? Or do we, like our idea of wealth is very different than what uh, someone who doesn't have much means is trying to decide between life and death. And yet they want certain um, wealth, uh, money, support. When we think about pleasure, pleasure is like the idol of our world, right? Pleasure was the idol of their world. Have you ever heard of bread and circus? Right? Bread and circus was a real thing in Roman times, right? If you feed them all, and make sure they aren't hungry, and you give them entertainment, then it's much easier to have control. Right Right there, you got three of the four biggies in one moment. This is the Roman Empire. This is how they operated. This is how the whole thing expanded. Have you ever seen that map of the Roman Empire's expansion? It's incredible what the Roman people did. Incredible. How did they do it? Bread and circus. Keep them fed, keep them entertained, and then you have control. And so into this world, St. Paul's speaking. And he's saying to St. Paul, to, to the Thessalonians, he's saying, you, you have turned from all of those idols to the living God. And don't doubt that it didn't take a change of their behavior. A change in the way in which they live. And then you begin to look at the first reading and you see, ah, to have the ability to care for the widow, to have the ability to take care for the orphan, to be able to uh, accept the one who is coming among me that's been oppressed. All of those lists of things. That's the, the signs that something changed. And the Israelite people were called to it way before. But the power of Jesus Christ gave them a new grace that made it possible. And made it possible not only to live according to those things, but to go even deeper and wider and further. And give their lives even more in witness to this one who claimed, I am God. I am the one who made all things. I am the one who made you. And I made you to worship me. And in doing that, something changes. And 2,000 years ago, when the man Jesus Christ of Nazareth began to walk this earth, people finally had a way to turn from their idols 
People finally had a new power that surpassed what it was when they were trying to control everything. People finally had a new wealth when they realized, wait a minute, everything here belongs to me. Why am I trying to add more to my lot when it's all mine anyway? I had that experience when I was traveling recently and I realized, well, I could travel to every place in the whole world and it wouldn't give me the same experience as when I realized, wait a minute, the whole world already is mine. Have you ever had one of those moments maybe looking out at the stars or seeing a sunrise or a sunset and you realize, it's all right here. I mean, what do we want? Like another, which by the way, I talk about coffee because that's my thing, right? Do you want another coffee every morning or do you want the experience of a sunrise given to you? Well, that sunrise is given to you and to all people. Right? When we're able to see, my gosh, he gave me all this then I can let go of my need to attain those things. When I realize the dignity it is to be a child of God, if you've ever experienced, I pray, I pray that before you leave this Newman Center, you have had at least one experience in your life of experience, like knowing I am a daughter of God. Friends, that's the whole reason we exist. You are a son of the creator. You are a son of God. But we can just go about our things attached to all those others and fail to see. But once you experience, I am loved by God, I am known by God, it becomes easy then to say, ah, I don't want all that other stuff. And then it becomes easy when you can't let go of all that other stuff to then turn to him and say, Lord, you got to help me let go of all that other stuff. Right, because it's really tricky. You can kind of like say, oh, I need to live for God now, and then we're attached to other things and then think it's up to our effort to get rid of those other things. No, you met the one who can help you detach. Turn to him. This is the great gift that we have been given, right? And we see that it isn't something that just St. Paul was called to. We are called to as well. We're, on Saturday, we're taking a pilgrimage to Sister Wilhelmina's place in Missouri or Kansas, somewhere around there. She lives right around there, right? I hope that uh, as you go out, you can have an opportunity on the QR code to, to sign up. And it's going to be a beautiful opportunity. We aren't doing a retreat this semester. Uh, we're going to, this is our retreat. It's just one day. We're going to leave early in the morning. We'll be back at night. It'll be great. Sister Wilhelmina is an incorruptible, right? They exhumed her body and she was still not decayed. And if you don't know anything about incorruptibles, go look them up. It's sort of weird until you realize, wait a minute, I'm a vessel of the divine. If this body is a vessel of the divine, who's to say certain miraculous things couldn't be manifest to the world in concrete ways through a body, right? To realize this, she says uh, in one of her... Times she says, Man was made, man has two outlooks. One outlook is toward life, and the other outlook is toward death. The pagan world was, for the most part, oppressed with the outlook toward death. And in the midst of oppression, what is it easy to do? Create bread and circus so that you don't have to pay attention to the heaviness. 
for our own lives, we can see that this great call we have to live differently, to begin to worship God is important. And it's something that we can be gifted by. But increasingly, when I look at the news, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, I just look at all these things. And I'm like, this, this place is crazy. I mean, crazy, crazy. Is it really possible that God's the answer? Like, turning to God can do something? Well, if you want to solve all human problems at once, I don't think so. But if you want to solve all human problems little by little and in light of eternity, there's a lot of witnesses to say this is the path. To turn from all of our idols, power, pleasure, wealth, honor, and need to be seen, those things, to say, I'm going to give my life to God. And there's an interesting thing in the, in the readings. He says, um, where does he say? He says, uh, he talks about the difficulty and then the joy that comes. Oh. I didn't make my little note, sorry. Anyway, there can be a sense of giving my life to God can be like ho-hum, ho-hum. But sometimes the ho-hum, sometimes the difficulty, sometimes the challenge is because I'm not really just giving my life. And so I'm caught in this tension. I want to point out five people here. And if you're here, if you'd stand up. Kenneth Gunther. Yep, she's going to kill me. (laughs) Samantha Lears. Sam Wiegand. Sam's busy making posters so that you can sign up for the pilgrimage on Saturday. William. Not here. Who am I missing? Amanda. And she's not here either. Okay, you can sit down. Students, most of you probably know who these people are. They've given their life to God. Like, given their life. Like, their life, their day. They're rising in the morning. They're going to bed. Where they're going to go on vacation or where they're going to go on spring break. What they're going to do with the, the degree that they've earned after college. Right? They're the missionaries. They've given their life to God. And how many of your lives are rich and fruitful and beautiful and meaningful? How many of us have experienced the love of God, have discovered a life of prayer, have been called into something beautiful, a friendship, a group of people that maybe we couldn't have imagined a few years ago that we would be a part of? And we're there because a missionary called us in. But that missionary, right, it looks fun, it looks joyful, but they really gave something up. This is the reason that I want to point them out is because we can forget, we can think, oh, giving my life to God is going to be terrible. No, giving your life to God is amazing. It's totally transformative. But in the beginning, the evil one wants us to think that it's going to be difficult. You shouldn't do it. My friends, I want to tell you right now, we've never lived in a time in the world more in which all of us just need to give our lives away. 
There's never a time when the priesthood is more uh, attractive than when it's not attractive to the world. Ever. Give your lives away. Become missionaries. Do something for other people. Uh, Your free time spends serving people and loving people and knowing people and greeting people and giving people your heart and your mind and your soul. And I assure you, your life will transform and become illuminative. You will become eyes of God in this world. You will become a heart that helps people know that they are loved. And what more do you want? To help someone earn a career or to help someone know that they're made for an eternal destiny? And then when they know they're made for an attorney destiny, they still will get a career to go. It's amazing. I went to Carrie's yesterday. Yeah, that Carrie's. <laughs> I could be wrong, but I think it's been 19 years since I crossed that threshold. And it's the first time in my life I've ever went in Carrie's and drank only water. That's not because of me. That's not because of a 12-step program. That's not because I have friends. That's not because my parents did the good job. That's because this person on the cross is risen and alive and present in this world. And he comes through people. And there was a Protestant minister that came into Keystone Treatment Center and he looked at us and he called us to prayer and he called us to, to consider that maybe God had a plan for our life that was different than our own. And he called us to talk to him. And I thought, talk to him. This is that crazy stuff my mom and dad do. Yeah, talk to God. He's the one we're looking for. I had no idea 19 years ago yesterday crossing the threshold of Keystone Treatment Center would be a grace that would allow me to one day cross a threshold of carries and have just as much joy in my heart as I do when I meet all kinds of people. It was such a blessing to see my sister-in-law there and to see other alumni there and to see people. And when I left there, I thought, this is freedom. Last night... Silk Road was closed for lunch, by the way. I'm not so sure I'm happy about that. (laughs) Stop worshiping that idol, John. (laughs) So I got dinner there. And last night when I went and picked up my dinner, I got my car and then I was driving. And there was a, a girl standing right on the corner of a building with her head down, swaying back and forth. I thought, I know you. And God loves you too. And if it wouldn't have been weird, I would have stopped my car in the middle of the road and got out and asked her how I can help. I'm not saying we should close all the bars down or we should all eat nice, I don't know. What I'm saying is Jesus Christ is the reason we're here. And he isn't going to send anyone else to this world except you and I. And if he hadn't sent that Protestant minister into Keystone, friends, I wouldn't have met Jesus and I wouldn't be standing here. But there was a moment in that journey when I realized I was free. There was a moment in that journey when I kind of was tempted to go back to taking all that I was given and living it for myself. 
And instead, someone encouraged me to get a job at muscular dystrophy. And as I became the director of muscular dystrophy for the region, I began to realize that the gifts I had had, the things that I had learned at the business school at the University of South Dakota, were things that could be used for the good of another. And I saw these young boys and girls who had Duchenne's muscular dystrophy and people who had MS and people who had other ailments. And I realized they're asking me to go and put my gifts to work that they might be helped. And it was then that I accepted that maybe God was calling me to the priesthood to give my life away, not to try and manage it, to quasi-say I worship God, but I'm actually attending these four other idols, but to truly worship him. Give your lives away. You'll see things you never conceived were possible. You will watch eyes open And you will have an awareness in your heart that it's because you looked at that one that made it happen. And you will have a gift of calling people into friendship and calling them ways in which they will meet friendship that is with God. And you will see what is eternal happen concretely in front of you. This, my friends, is called the already but not yet. And as we enter this Eucharistic sacrifice, for 2,000 years, God has said, remember me. For 2,000 years, he has left his sacramental life here that we might have a way to come back to him. And when we come back to him, we come back to him in new and changed ways. And we understand the gift of mercy because we know that just as In the first reading it said, you will understand the the alien because you were once yourself. Just the same way that I understood the person on the corner because I was once myself. And you will have your own journey and your own way. And you will say, I know you because I was once myself. But I have met him. And because of that, I've met mercy. And mercy, my friends, isn't something up in the sky. Mercy is a face who looks at me. And God's love is already here in you. His eternal love forever with the communion of the saints, those who are living and deceased, is not yet, but one day will come.